Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. All right, so we are two months into the year, and most people have heard of a dry January where they go a month without alcohol. Uh, Andy here, you're doing a dry 2021, a whole year, so two months. How, how's it going? Yeah, no, it's going well. I feel good. I started December 11th. Like when oh, I decided okay. I was going to do it, I just said I'm, I'm starting now. Yeah. And so I'm a little over two months into it now, nice. and I feel good. It's nice because uh, the the biggest thing that it was impacting was my sleep. Like anytime I'd have, and like, look, I really enjoy wine, but you know, when I would drink it on the weekends, it would just like wreck my sleep. And it's actually been really nice, like, you know, waking up on Saturday or Sunday and looking at my aura ring and like, I actually got good sleep. Mm, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, there are a couple, you know, there are a couple of days, a couple of stressful days where I'm like, man, I would just like a glass of wine, but. That's good for you though. Try to not turn to that for like stress relief, which, which is what most people do. Like have a stressful day, pour a glass of wine. Like it's good mm -hmm. to, to find other ways to cope. Yeah. So like one, one thing that just calms me down is like reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I started to get back into it. Aaron and I have been big, uh, like Lord of the Rings fans, you know, since we were kids. So I've, yeah. I've started, I went through those and now I'm going through some other Tolkien books and, uh, that kind of just takes me away, takes the stress down. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I have no doubts that I'm going to get through the whole year. The question is, mm -hmm. am I going to keep doing it after that? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even if you don't, maybe you'll at least change, change your habits to some degree afterwards. Yeah. yeah um, definitely. Yes. Same thing with like a reading. I, I really don't drink alcohol normally. Mariah, she'll drink, she likes wine, but she is going this year without alcohol as well. So yeah, in the evenings, we'll just sit down, like read We've both been reading physical books a lot more lately. Um, so we'll do just tea, like a mint tea a little bit of honey in there and then just sit back and read. And it's super yeah. relaxing way to, to end, end the day. Yeah. I, I, um, got this magnesium powder from thorn and mm -hmm. I would typically, you know, before I got this stuff, I would take magnesium glycinate pills before bed. And that, uh, calms me down. It, it helps me get like a lot more REM sleep. And I found this powder and it has a slight, it's sweetened with monk fruit, I think, but just slightly, huh. there's no flavor. It's just a little sweet. And okay. so you add that to tea and like use that as the sweetener mm. It's it's perfect because it's the perfect amount of sweetness and it helps you like get drowsy. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's a little, uh, my I'll new nightcap. Try. Nice. All right. So we get a, we get a long episode here for you today. Well, I think it's going to be long. We'll, we'll see how it turns out, but basically we're going to go through uh in depth on food labels and you know we've talked about like the nutrition side of things before um if you look at our healthy snacks episode back in 2020 a year, ago. year ago yeah probably february of last year we kind of talk about like the specifics of food like um like the sugar aspect the fat aspect those kind of things today we're looking at like labels as in like non-gmo grass-fed, no hormones, no antibiotics. Like what do all those things mean? Like there are these vague terms that are slapped on things. Some of them have like a certification label. Some of them is just like straight up wording. Like are there regulations around these? Can they just slap these labels on any food? Um, we're going to take a look at all of those 
And we will put timestamps in this. So you can look if there's like a specific label, like if you're interested in just grass fed, you can jump to that part of the episode. So we'll have those uh, timestamps in the in the show notes. And I think we're going to try time permitting, put it, put all this together in like a, a PDF. So you can easily yeah. like um, kind of skim through and see, you know, what these different labels mean, because there's different, you know, regulatory bodies. There's the, the USDA, which uh, regulates like meat, poultry and egg products. There's the FDA. Uh, that's more dairy uh, produce, packaged foods. Uh, and then there are there are some like third party nonprofit organizations that have their own certification where it's not a like a federal you know, governing body, but it's a it's a third party that applies these labels to things. So there's so many different players in here and it it's really confusing, very convoluted for a lot of people. So that's kind of what, yeah. what we're going to go through today. Like, what do these things actually mean? Who regulates these? What, what does it mean? And what uh, are the requirements to meet those certifications? Yeah, it really gets like unnecessarily complicated like with so like usda and fda are the main governmental bodies that regulate food like it's just so weird there's certain things like the usda for example regulates so meat poultry and egg products like byproducts of eggs the fda uh, um, regulates like whole eggs and dairy so like fda is the food and drug administration usda is the u.s department of ag so you'd think that like USDA would regulate whole eggs. They they regulate just like byproducts of eggs, but the FDA regulates like whole egg. It's just like stuff like that goes on. It's where such it's just a mess. like yeah. It, yeah, it really is a mess. So it's confusing. So this the the meaning of this episode is to paint a clear picture as possible. So when you go to the store, when you buy food, you see these labels and you know exactly what they mean um, to the best of what is like provided to us by. Right. The governing governing agencies because they can be very vague in certain cases which we'll get into so the first one we'll mention here is the labeling vegetarian fed sometimes it will say vegetarian fed sometimes it will say 100 vegetarian fed so this is one is pretty straightforward it, it simply means the animal consumed no animal-based products during its lifetime um, and animal-based foods are not um, a part of many animals' diets anyway. So this labeling doesn't really hold much weight. Like it sounds good, but in, in, in reality, animals mainly eat ve like vegetarian diets. The one exception here are chickens whose natural diet should consist of not just like seeding grain, but it should, uh, like if it's living a good life, it should be eating like bugs as well, like insects, grass, seeds, grain, whatever it would be like in a pasture, if it was walking around in a pasture, the things it would pick up off the ground. So eggs that are labeled vegetarian and fed likely indicates that they were either caged or indoors most of their life without access to an open pasture. And we're going to get more into the egg side of things because there's lots of confusion around eggs. Um, but in general, vegetarian fed, it, it just doesn't hold much weight. Most animals eat a vegetarian diet anyway. Yeah. All right. So now let's move on to a very popular one, grass fed or, you know, hundred percent grass fed, certified grass fed. This one was by far the most difficult to decipher. There've been so many changes in regulations over the past 15 years on this, making it extremely difficult to actually understand what are the regulations around uh, meat that is labeled as grass fed. And I'm not going to go through all the history. I'm just going to share where we're at today. 
So basically there is no single program or governing agency behind the grass-fed label. And, and regulations actually differ between meat and dairy. So there are different, different regulations around meat labeled grass-fed and dairy labeled grass-fed. So let's start with meat. So the USDA has a, uh, a division called the Food Safety and Inspection Service, FSIS. And they're responsible for certifying grass-fed claims on meat. Now this certification involves a one-time application from the producer or the farmer, you know, with some supporting documentation certifying that their livestock are actually grass-fed. And so we'll put a, a PDF in the show notes. They certified several things like cattle were only 100% grass-fed, um, you know, or, or they like forage, like clovers, things like that. Diet must solely be derived from forage and, and animals can't be fed grain or grain byproducts. Um, they can't be confined to a feedlot. They have to have access to a pasture during the growing season. Now, meaning they, they may not have access to pasture all year long. So that section is kind of vague. Um, they can maybe have routine mineral and vitamin supplementation. And then when animals have less than 100% access to grass-fed, uh, the partial grass-fed claim has to accurate, accurately reflect the circumstances of raising. So, you know, maybe they only had access to grass 85% of the year. Well, then they have to say, you know, meat, the meat has to say made from cows fed 80% grass, 15% corn or whatever. Um, the term grass-finished is not the same as grass-fed because animals that have been grass-finished, they may be fed grain their, their whole life and then like the last, you know, two weeks fed grass. Wait, say that again. You said grain their whole life and then finished on grass. Did you mean vice versa? No, because because, because people look for that. People look for grass finish. Like, oh, mm, grass finish. Okay. That must mean that because traditionally cows will be they'll be pumped full of grain at the very end to fatten them up. So people typically look right. for oh grass finish. That means they weren't fed grain. Not necessarily. They could mm, be grain fed their okay. whole life and then grass finish. So, but basically, all the application is is basically a description of your process what the cows eat, and then a signed affidavit. There is no audit or inspection. Now, you can, you can voluntarily undergo a USDA process verification program. You have to pay for that, and no one does this. I think only like one or two producers in the U.S. actually go through this verification program. Um, but basically, you just sign something saying that, that you know, that's how your cows are fed. No audit, no inspection. So people who actually like want to go through an inspection process, probably the best organization is the American Grass-Fed Association. This is a third-party certification with much higher standards um, when it comes to grass-fed livestock. So they have to be 100% grass-fed, raised on pasture all, all year long, no antibiotics, raised on American family farms. Uh, they also have to employ a regenerative approach. They're held to strict standards regarding animal treatment. Uh, and this this certification, the American Grass-Fed Association. I think the label is like AGA. Uh, this applies to meat and dairy as well. Um, and then the nice thing about this certification is that all producers that are certified under this program, not are they only held to stricter standards, but they're independently inspected at least once every 15 months. So about once a year. So this is probably the best certification when it comes to grass-fed. Um, I think this is like the, the higher standard. There are other organizations that oversee grass-fed claims like PCO, Certified Organic, uh, Certified Grass-Fed by AGW, which is a greener world. Those are two that are a little more 
rare, but you, you may see them. So if you want the real grass fed, the real deal, AGA is uh, probably the best certification out there. Just to summarize there. So basically, you know, you can see different terms. You can see grass fed, 100% grass fed, uh, grass fed, grass finished, just grass finished. So in general, and, the, and those terms are not regulated generally. If they're, if they're outside the American Grass Fed Association, they're not regulated. Is that correct? Yeah, they, I mean, the FDA, or sorry, not the FDA, the FSIS, the Food Safety and Inspection Service, has a, a, a definition in which farmers certify to, but there's nobody actually inspecting and making okay. sure that those farms are actually doing it. So it's kind of on the honor system. So, but under those circumstances to ensure that it's being grass fed from, from birth to death, it would have to use the, uh, the verbiage 100% grass fed. Like that's, is that the, the word you look for to ensure it was grass fed from birth to death? Yes. Yes. But I mean, you, again, you don't really know if it actually was because mm -hmm. it's just a farmer saying that they did, but yeah, hundred okay. percent grass fed means that they were, um, they ate grass their whole life. Okay. All right. And then regarding dairy, sorry, this section is long. We'll be able to blow through the rest of these. I think, um, regarding dairy, the FDA oversees labels on dairy products, and they currently have no regulation or guidelines around the term grass fed, and there's no verification process. So now labels can't be misleading, but in reality, anyone could put grass fed on their milk, like no one's checking. But in 2019, the, uh, organic plus trust organization came out with a, a certification called the certified grass-fed organic dairy certification uh, and they go through an application and inspection process you may have seen the company uh, organic valley in like health food stores they put out cheese and milk uh, they were one of the first companies to actually get this certification so it's very new but it's good to see that some certifications are actually coming into play when it comes to grass-fed uh, dairy so to get the best thing in terms of grass-fed look for the american grass-fed association logo um, yeah, that applies to meat and dairy. So that's really kind of yeah. the best one out there. Okay. And that's like a little green logo with like little grass leaves on it. So if you're mm -hmm. wondering what that looks like. All right. Next, we're going to look at the animal welfare like, regulations around that. Unfortunately, there, there are very little government regulations around the welfare of animals. But there are various organizations that have their own cer certificates or certifications that many farms adhere to. The three most common ones I'll, I'll shout out are American Humane Certified, Certified Humane Raised and Handled, and Animal Welfare Approved. These are three different organizations. You'll, you would recognize the labels if you saw these. Um, just Google them. You'll, you'll, see, you'll, you'll remember what these are. But in terms of the, the distinction of these three, there, there's a big difference in terms of in what the standards of each of these have. And they all have different standards depending whether that's dairy whether it's meat, uh, poultry, eggs, all of it have different specific standards within each. But as a rule of thumb, the the American Humane Certified, really they just do the bare minimum in, in ensuring that the, the welfare of the animals is good. It's fine. It's better than no certification, but honestly, these animals can still be treated pretty poorly. The, the next one that's a little bit better is if it's certified, humane, raised, and handled. They have a little bit stricter regulations, but really the best of the best, the one you want to look for if you care about this, care about supporting farms that truly treat their animals well, is the anim is animal welfare approved. That is by far the best certification. They have very strict standards on how their animals can be treated. 
So look for that label. Um, yeah, each, each of these or organizations have their own certification processes where third parties will audit the farms and evaluate the welfare of the practices. If it basically they'll get these organizations will come in, check out the farm. If they adhere to their standards, they put the label on their product. And then generally it's annual audits are done to ensure that they're still abiding by these standards. We'll put a link in the bio to there's actually a great tool, surprisingly by consumer reports that you can like pick your food. So I can pick like eggs and I can, there's like a drop down box on like, were the eggs caged free or not? And it will show every organization and whether like its standards on that thing, or I can pick dairy and it will show all the standards for each certif certification agency. That's so cool. yeah, I check that out. If you care, like if you're interested in this and if you care about like where your food came from, what its standards were, check out this, we'll put it in the bio. All right, you want to move on to uh, probably a good segue would be like cage-free, free-range pasture race. I know those are terms that get thrown around a lot, and I feel like a lot of people don't really know what they mean. Yeah, this one, like most of this in this episode, is uh, these are some confusing terms thrown around very often, cage-free, free-range, and pasture race in terms of eggs. And there's really not a single definition or standard for these terms. There's It, it really leaves a lot of room for interpretation lots of confusion. There's also very little government oversight for these terms. Um, but just like the welfare of animals, there are a lot of regulations around like um, agencies, third-party agencies who have stepped in to regulate. And the three I mentioned above still apply here. American uh, Humane Certified, Certified Humane Race and Handled, and Animal Welfare Approved. All of those have like a section, like regulations around eggs specifically. So you'll still see those three on egg packaging. The The fourth one that comes into play here is the United Egg Producers um, certification. That one's like the bare, bare minimum. You'll see that on most eggs. Like if you look at like your average grocery store, like the 89 cent eggs, they're going to have this stamp on there. It's, it's the bare minimum. It doesn't mean much, but it's something. Mm -hmm. But just to distinct the difference between cage-free, free-range, and pasture-raised, it does mean something different for each agency here, but I'm going to give a, a general overview to give you some direction. Cage-free are hens that are uncaged and have the freedom to move vertically and horizontally with 1 to 1.25 square foot of floor space per hen. So really not much. They basically have a foot of space. That's, That's it. Ridiculous. That's it. Wow. There are some regulations around perching and nesting requirements. They have to have some access to that. But um, it, it, this also does not require any outdoor space. So cage-free sounds nice. In reality, they have a one square foot patch indoors. I mean, they're still in a cage. They, I mean, they're still in a cage. Uh, yeah, essentially, <laughs> they're still in a cage. <clears throat> um, they they could never see sunlight in their entire life. It's pretty pretty rough. Free range a little bit better. Each hen has, um, depending on the agency, between two feet and 21 feet. So big difference there, but um, a little bit more space. Uh, they can, some regulations allow, uh, do require a minimum outdoor period, not all of them. So they could either have no outdoor like period of time in a day. Some require at minimum six hours outdoor a day. It depends on, on which agency you go by. Um, but the outdoor space does not always require vegetation. So 
maybe they're, they are outside for six hours, but they could just be literally on concrete. They have no access to like vegetation out there. Mm -hmm. So very um, vague terms. It, it still can be pretty rough conditions at free range. The last one is pasture raised, which is the best case scenario. These hens must have 108 square foot each of outdoor space. And the minimum outdoor period's not always, uh, it's not like they have to be outdoor for a specific period of time, but they always have access to outdoor period. And the outdoor space, what's important here, must be significantly covered in vegetation. So basically, they're always free to roam outside. The outside must be covered in greenery. Um, and they each per hen must have 108 square foot of outdoor space. So this, this most likely mimics like if you were to have a, a hen out in the wild, like this is what they're the closest thing you can get to what their life would be pasture raised. Now, I, I really encourage you to, to check the certification on the eggs you typically buy to see which like which standard they're adhering to the farm that these eggs come from. A, a general recommendation is to avoid like cage free and just like normal eggs that are don't even lay aren't even labeled. I would avoid cage free and normal eggs at all costs. Free range. It's a step in the right direction, but if you can, if you can afford it, pasture raise is really the, the best way to go. That ensures um, proper care and handling of the animals. And as a disclaimer, um, these certifications are primarily important if you're buying animal products in big box stores, like, like a Walmart or Costco. But if you like know a small local, local farmer, they likely aren't going to pay to get these certifications since they're, right. they're a smaller operation and they probably aren't selling to big stores. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it from them. In fact, like even these smaller farms, do, even though they don't have a certification, many of them are treating their animals better than any industrial farm who has the highest certification. Yeah. Like I, I have friends who who raise cattle and uh, pigs up in Crawfordsville. Shout out to uh, Gillenwater Farms. And um, they're a small operation, so they really have no reason to get these certifications but I feel like 100% buy, better buying meat from them versus any regular store. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see like how the cattle and pigs are raised and treated firsthand. It really gives you like an insight on, on how the sausage is made. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. perfect pun. <laughs> Dad joke. Um, but all, all that to say is that like, if you know a local farmer, go there first. If you see how they're being treated, like I know the, the, the beef I buy from Gillen Water Farms is, like I literally like feed them apples. I see them roaming in pastures, but they're not certified, but mm -hmm. they're being like treated better than any other cattle is out there. So yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. From, and a lot of farms, yeah. a, a lot of local farms want you to come out and see, they'll like, they'll allow you to go visit. So yeah, you know, if you have the time, make it, you know, make it a family event, go out and visit the farm and see how the animals are actually raised. Right. And so I said, not certified. they're certified obviously as, as, to some degree, it's not zero certifications right. yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. It's these um, specific welfare certifications many of these small farms don't have. Yeah. Okay. Um, kind of on those lines, there's another certification called regenerative certified organic. I'm gonna I'm gonna go very quick over this one because I've never seen it. It's relatively new, started in 2017, and what they're focusing on is soil soil health, animal welfare and fairness to farmers and workers. Um, the, the whole goal of this certification is to promote holistic agriculture practices in, in an all-encompassing certification that um, heals our soil, 
over time, uh, sequesters carbon. Go listen to our episode with Rob Wolf where he talks about that a little more. Um, it improves animal welfare and, and then provides economic stability for um, the farmers, ranchers, and workers. Uh, so this is a pretty strict certification. I think, again, I think it's relatively new, um, but I really, really hope that we see more of this uh, and a more, you know, step towards uh, regenerative agriculture, because that's really what's going to, you know, heal our, our soil. That, that's all I'll say about that, since it is pretty rare. I don't think you're going to really find that in the grocery store. You can go to their website and see kind of what, what farms abide by that certification. There's another one called... Uh, ecological outcome verification. And again, this is very much focused on soil health, biodiversity, biodiversity, and uh, ecosystem function. And this applies to meat, dairy, wool, and leather. And with this certification, each year an inspector comes out and inspects your land. Uh, they look at the short-term and long-term indicators of soil health, biodiversity of plant and animal life, uh, and you have to meet qualifying metrics each year for a long period of time, like to maintain the certification. Um, white oak pastures, we mentioned them in the Rob Wolf, Rob Wolf episode. I mean, their farm is healing the land. Their farm sequesters carbon from the atmosphere and their regenerative farm. They have this certification. So uh, so that's one that I hope we see more of in the future. All right. So the next one is, is going to we're going to discuss like hormones and antibiotics. If you've bought meat before, you probably have seen the wording on that meat packaging, like no hormones administered or no antibiotics administered. So starting with hormones, the USDA, this is regulated by the USDA, and they do allow for the administration of growth hormones in specific animals. So they allow it in cattle, both beef and dairy. They allow it in swine or pig and lamb. So those three can be administered growth hormones. Now, the use of hormones in other animals are, are not allowed. So the use of hormones are prohibited in the production of, of poultry, chicken, goat, veal, bison, buffalo, elk, etc. So those, those types of foods or those types of animals cannot be administered hormones. And the packaging for these um, for the ones I just mentioned, they will still state no, no hormones administered. So if you like buy like a, a rotisserie chicken, it will say no hormones administered, but it also has to say federal regulations prohibit the use of hormones in these anyway, just so, so you can distinct between which ones are already illegal and which ones could use it, but chose not to. So on basically beef, swine, and lamb, Ideally, you want to look for ones that, that has, do say no hormones administered. Now, this does not necessarily mean hormone-free. They, they're not allowed to use the terminology hormone-free because animals naturally ha have naturally occurring hormones, which right. could end up in the meat. And um, just because they didn't add additional hormones, it doesn't mean there's absolutely no hormones in the meat. So yeah. um, and ideally, if you're going to be buying beef, dairy, uh, pork or lamb, it is best to look for something that says no horm hormones administered, no hormones added, no steroids used. That ensures that there's no injection of hormones to promote growth. Yeah. Going off of that, um, this relates to dairy specifically. You may see on your milk something, set, something called RBGH free. And as mentioned above, hormones are allowed to be administered in, um, in dairy cows. And RBGH is a specific growth hormone 
administered to dairy cows that basically increases the production of milk. And the the use of this hormone, it's, it's man-made. It was approved by the FDA in 1993, so it's, it's fairly recent. However, there are still countries that do not permit the use of this specific hormone. Countries like Europe and Canada still do not allow the use of RBGH. Now, we could do an, an entire episode on this spe- specific hormone to discuss whether or not it is dangerous for us. The U.S. has deemed it to, to not be an issue. They've deemed a, quite a few things not to be an issue when it potentially is, though. So mm-hmm. take that for what it is. But if you want to play it safe, look for milk that says RBGH free, meaning they did not use that growth hormone on the animal. You can find it's pretty easy to find this in most grocery stores. A few brands that do not use this hormone are like A2 Milk, Fairlife, Organic Valley, Horizon Organic, really any like specialty milk or like organically raised milk is not going to have this administered. So it, if you want to play it safe, look for that logo. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to find in, in any grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. It is good to see that like these sorts of things are becoming more mainstream. I mean, then, you, you know, 10, 15 years ago, now you can go to most grocery stores and find that kind of stuff. So, right. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So going off that, uh, let's go to antibiotics. This is a big one as well. UFC, like no antibiotics administered or raised without antibiotics. So if an animal or if uh, meat has like certified organic label on it, you can't administer antibiotics to the animal except for chicken and turkey. Um, you can administer antibiotics to the egg, but once the egg is hatched, it cannot be given antibiotics. So if it has like the, the certified organic plus uh, raised without antibiotics, you'll see that sometimes, that means they were never given antibiotics, like even in the hatchery. Um, if it says no but no antibiotics ever and never given antibiotics, that means you know no antibiotics were ever used in raising the animal. Uh, it also may say no growth-promoting antibiotics, and this means that uh, antibiotics weren't used to speed up growth but they may have used antibiotics on say sick animals. So there, there is a little difference between no antibiotics and no growth promoting antibiotics. Um, and I don't think we've really talked about it on here, but antibiotic resistance is a big problem right now. Uh, meaning the overconsumption and overuse of antibiotics in, in humans uh, is leading our bodies to resist antibiotics. Like when we actually need them, like in disease and illnesses and, I mean, who knows where this is going to be in 50 to 100 years. But if we get to a point where antibiotics don't work, like especially when we need them, we're screwed. So we kind of want to limit the use of antibiotics, not only for um, medicine, if we don't need them, but also like in the foods that we consume too. And a lot of meat now is is limiting the use of antibiotics because of this. But uh, this is something that, you know, I think I, I would definitely look for uh, and do look for when when purchasing meat products is is looking for no antibiotics. Okay, and then last thing on meat is nitrate-free. This is uh, a big one, and it's kind of controversial, uh, and we could probably do a full episode on nitrates. There's debate on like how harmful nitrates actually are, or it's supposedly been linked to cancer and brain disease, but again, the extent of that connection is still up for debate. I, I personally haven't researched it a ton, um, 
it's nuanced. So it's not something that can be explained in a few minutes, but nitrates are, are basically a chemical compound found in food, meats and vegetables, and um, it's used in meat as a preservative, like to keep that red color. So you'll see it in a lot of processed meats like hot dogs, lunch meat, bacon. Um, but now you'll see a lot of labels include the words no nitrate or no nitrates or nitrates added. And what this means is that there were no synthetic nitrates added. So they may have added nitrates from other sources, like uh, from celery, like you, you can create nitrates out of celery. This is kind of similar to the natural flavors, artificial flavors thing, which we'll talk about later, where, yeah, the source is different. One source is natural, one is not, but they change it a lot. And by the end, it's something completely different. So you could have nitrates in your meat that started as celery, um, and, but they're still advertised as nitrate free uh, or, or no nitrates added. Now, the jury is still out as to whether or not these nitrates that were that came from a natural source are any better than ones that came from a synthetic source. Uh, again, it's still kind of early. We don't really know. There have been you know, a lot of petitions to the USDA to put more strict guidelines around this because a lot of people will read nitrate free and think, oh, therefore it's healthy. So they'll buy bacon that says no nitrate free or hot dogs that say nitrate free and think, oh, this is good for me. Um, but actually, as of December 10th of 2020, USDA, USDA came out publicly and said that they do intend to conduct a rulemaking to prohibit statements like no nitrates or nitrate added on products that have been processed using any source of nitrate. So even if the source of mm -hmm. nitrates came from a natural source, they won't be able to use that label. So they're starting to tighten up the regulations around this. Um, but for now, I would say just don't assume just because it says nitrate free that it's healthy. Probably just best to avoid meats that are highly processed in any way. All right. So now we have one more in the uh, meat realm. We're going to end here with seafood, the difference between farm raised and, and wild caught. So farm raised are fish that are, are raised and live in enclosures. Now those enclosure enclosures can be in the ocean, lakes, rivers, bodies of waters. Um, I think the most common is like tanks. All these fish are just crammed into a tank. Uh, now, U.S. regulations do prohibit the use of hormones or antibiotics to promote growth in farm-raised fish, although it's thought that, you know, diseases are more likely to spread in those small habitats. I think, you know, there's the 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 thought, or, or I've heard a lot that, you know, if they're farm-raised, they're just pumped with antibiotics. Uh, the U.S. actually prohibits that, but they could have more diseases because they're so tightly, the living quarters are so tight. They're also fed differently than they otherwise would eat in nature, uh, resulting in less nutrient-dense fish, less omega-3s. So, I mean, farm-raised fish, for the living conditions for the fish, it's it's not great, and they're uh, less nutrient-dense because they're just it's it's an un, very unnatural habitat. Now, wild-caught fish are fish that are caught in their natural habitat, like oceans, lakes, and rivers. They are not raised in a tank. They're more spread out, so less diseases. Uh, more, they have a more natural, diverse diet, so potentially more nutrient-dense for humans. But uh, this is not very well enforced by the FDA. The FDA only inspects like less than 2% of seafood imports. So this is why like U.S. or, or Alaska wild-caught is better if it says it's U.S. or Alaska because they don't, they don't regulate imports very well. And then even, uh, even in the U.S., this wild-caught versus farm-raised, they don't regulate very well. There was a study done in 2015 
that looked at 82 samples of salmon from restaurants and grocery stores across the U.S. and found that 30% were mislabeled as wild caught when they were actually farm raised. Interesting. Now, it's worth noting that this was out of season. They did a similar study a few years earlier uh, in season, and that number was about 7%. So, so in season, it seemed that 7% of those labeled wild caught were actually farm raised. There is a certification that is more rigid than what the FDA requires. So it's called the Marine Stewardship Council, MSC. This is the world's leading certification for sustainable fisheries, guarantees that the seafood came from a certified sustainable fishery. Um, fisheries are evaluated by an independent third party on a regular basis. Uh, and it basically ensures that the catch of the marine resource are, are at a level compatible with long-term sustainable years. So, so sustainable yield. So they take sustainability practices into consideration and, uh, and biodiversity, um, you know, elo- ecological processes. And it, it makes sure that, you know, what, what is being claimed regarding wild caught is actually true. So if you're looking for, for good quality fish, uh, look for the MSC logo. Uh, that's probably the best certification you can get. All right. So that wraps up the meat, dairy, egg section, all that. Now we're going to move into like allergen uh, diet labels like gluten-free, vegan, paleo, what those labels actually mean. Most of them don't have um, governmental regulations. Most of them are third party or no regulation. Uh, But the first one we're going to talk about gluten-free actually does have FDA requirements um, for good reason, because people can die by eating gluten if you're very sensitive to it. So the FDA does require any food with the terminology on packaging gluten-free labels, that product must contain less than 20 parts per million of gluten. And that's basically the lowest level that can be reliably detected in foods using any scientifically validated method. Um, Foods may have either a gluten-free certified label, which indicates that a third party came in and tested the levels, or it may simply state gluten-free, which still does require it to adhere to the FDA's 20 parts per per million limit. But if it says just gluten-free and not gluten-free certified, that means that testing was basically done in-house and not by a third party. So whether the product is is gluten-free certified or just states gluten-free, it's likely safe to consume in both cases. Um, The FDA did a sample of products that that stated just gluten-free in 2017, and they looked at 200 and, or sorry, they looked at 702 samples among between 250 products and only one single product did not comply with the requirements. Wow. So okay. very, very, very rare to find gluten over the limit um, that where, where testing was done in-house and not by a third party. Um, lastly, like a, a gluten-free label is voluntary, um, meaning if it does not say gluten-free, that does not mean it's, it's not gluten-free. So yeah. like yeah. a bottle of water, for example, like obviously that doesn't have gluten in it. But they're not they're they're not required to say gluten free on it. Right. Just okay. just to throw that out there. But yeah, so there is there is re- pretty strict regulations around this term. It has to be verified. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, just given the I mean, it's an allergen. Right. So, all right. The next one we're going to go through is vegetarian. So there is currently no federal regulation of the word vegetarian in the United States. 
Now, that's that's not true uh, in, in other countries. Like there's a European vegetarian union vegetarian label, but I've never seen that here in the States. Uh, there's also a vegetarian society in the UK uh, for UK products, but no governing body in the US regulates the term vegetarian. Now, when companies use it, when you see it on there, it implies that no part of the animal itself was used. Um, I think the UK defer, defines that as like no flesh or byproduct, like the meat itself or fat from the animal was not used. So it doesn't include meat, poultry, fish, insects, or, or fat, but it may include uh, eggs, dairy products, and honey. Um, I think vegetarian is is quite a bit more loose than uh, like you know, veganism, but uh, but that's the general assumption when you buy a product labeled as vegetarian. Although there's really no way to verify this, so you're kind of taking the company at their word when it comes to vegetarian products. All right, then off of that, we're going to go to the vegan. So similarly, there there's no formal regulation or definition around the term vegan, though it is implied that vegan means that the product does not contain ingredients of animal origin. And this leaves some question around whether the whether animal derived products were used because most vegans, the, the term vegan means not only no animal products, but no derived animal products either. Now, there are third party vegan certifications. So um, if you see the certified vegan logo on an item, this indicates that no animal products or byproducts were used. This includes even like honey and silk. It means um, it, it, it's pretty uh, um, intensive standard. It also means that no, no animal testing was done in the creation of this product. It means no animal derived GMOs were used. So to be certified vegan, there is um, quite a intense listing that a company needs to abide by to get that certification. If it just says, if there's no third party logo like that verifying it's vegan, but the packaging still says vegan, it still likely does not contain any, any animal products or byproducts, but there's just really no way to, to guarantee that because the FDA is not checking into it. Mm -hmm. Other third parties aren't checking into it. So if it just simply says vegan, you're probably okay, but it not necessarily, you, you can't confirm it. So if you are hardcore, you don't want any animal products or byproducts whatsoever, then you need to look for the certified vegan logo. Yeah. All right. Uh, kind of moving to the opposite end of the spectrum, paleo. Uh, so there's a, a certified paleo label that you've probably seen on um, a lot of like snacks or bars. So this, uh, this ha to get this logo, you have to go through a application and auditing process through the paleo foundation. So a certified paleo label means that the, the product is, is grain free. Uh, so you can have like, you can't have like, you know, rice, oats, wheat, um, corn, you can't even have like quinoa, quinoa or buckwheat has to be legume free. So no beans, lentils, peas, peanuts, soy, or tempeh. Uh, it has to be dairy free. Uh, you can't have any artificial coloring, preservatives, sweeteners, or flavors. I know there's some sweeteners that they allow. So more natural sweeteners may be allowed like honey, stevia, maple syrup, coconut sugar, um, date sugar, uh, fruit juice, um, xylitol, those are the sweeteners that are allowed and you can have like some stabilizing anti-caking agents. Uh, but I mean, just because something is certified paleo doesn't mean that it's, 
it's good for you or that it's whole food. I mean, it could still have sunflower oil in it. It's probably want to limit your limit your use of uh, of eating this. I wouldn't I wouldn't live on a product just because it's a certified paleo. But anyway, that's what that means. Uh, and then I guess that'll, that's probably a good transition into another one that I recently came across lately, which is called Certified Keto. Uh, this is also developed by the uh, Paleo Foundation. And so what this means is that meal and meal replacement products cannot contain more than 10 grams of net carbs. And net carbs are, are basically the carbs minus the fiber. Um, snack products cannot contain more than 6 grams of net carbs. Condiments cannot contain more than 2 grams of net carbs per 0.5 ounces. Uh, and there are certain ingredients that, that are disallowed, like trans fat, soybean, margarine, vegetable oils, artificial sweeteners, like aspartame, sucralose. You can't have corn syrup. Uh, artificials are not allowed. Um, and then the allowed ingredients are actually similar to the certified paleo. I'm going to throw something and um, mention something here real quick. Similar to what you said about paleo, just if it, it just because it's keto doesn't mean it's it's healthy. Um, one thing I noticed that a lot of companies do, like they know keto is like a a buzzword these days. A lot of people are into it. If you see keto, a lot of pe- like more people are more likely to buy it. So what companies are doing now is they'll take these crap products. Like I was looking at um, like burger buns keto they're keto burger buns but what they do essentially to get to that 10 grams of net carbs they'll make it the same exact way but they'll just jack it full of basically um a, fi- a fiber supplement to get right. because net carbs is carbs minus fiber so they'll make it the same way they just jack it full of fiber and then it ends up being um 10 10 grams of net carbs or less so literally right. no different um same exact product they just basically slap a keto logo on it so watch out for that if they you'll you'll be able to see on the ingredient label the added fiber so if they just jack it with fiber it's probably a crap product yeah that goes with all of these if it's certified vegan certified paleo certified keto that does not mean it's healthy a lot of these are right. are honestly highly processed crap um yeah. so and you know like if you're keto you know another thing that you might want to consider is Element, uh, an electrolyte drink mix. Shameless plug for uh, for our favorite electrolyte drink, Element. Um, if you are like doing keto, or if you're um, you're doing fasting, or you're you're exercising a lot, losing a lot of electrolytes, you can refuel with Element. Very clean ingredients. I mean, it's pretty much just electrolytes. They do have natural flavors, which we're going to get into here, but they're purely fruit extracts and then stevia to sweeten it up. Love this stuff. Yeah, it fuels me for my workouts. It tastes good. I sip on it at night. If you want to pick some up, go to labratspodcast.com slash links, or you can check it out in our Instagram bio. Um, this stuff's incredible. I think my favorite thing about it is how easily it mixes in. Like we've talked about noon tablets in the past, and I still like noon tablets. They taste great. There's a lot of different flavors, a lot of different options. But one thing about noon tablets, one, they don't have enough electrolytes in them, but two, they don't mix in. Like they'll, they'll dissolve in your drink. But then you always have like all that residue at the bottom and your last few sips are like disgusting because it's just like grain. Right. This element, it's so fine that I can literally put it in like just a glass, shake it a little bit and it just dissolves completely. You have no no residue it, at the bottom. Yeah, even if the water is like really cold. Yeah, yeah. It's it's honestly pretty amazing how well it mixes. So I think that's one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, yeah labratspodcast.com slash links to uh, pick up some element. All right, last bit here. I know we're going long, but there's just so much here. We're going to go through some like other 
just random labels and claims that you'll probably see that didn't really fall into the above category. So one of the biggest ones is all natural, 100% natural. Uh, you see this all the time. So yeah, Aaron, what, what does this mean? Yeah, as you um, can probably expect here, it, it means very little. <laughs> there's there's no formal definition nor formal regulation around the use of the term natural, all natural, 100% natural. Now, the FDA does have guidelines around what the term natural should include. They don't regulate it or anything. It's just like their definition of it. But like their definition is that it cannot can it cannot contain any artificial flavor, color, ingredients, chemical, preservatives, or any other artificial or synthetic ingredient. And the product and its ingredients are not more than minimally processed. Ultimately, there, there's no official law. There's no regulation around these terms, whether they say natural, all natural, 100% natural. Honestly, like you can't trust it. It really doesn't mean anything. I would not let that word sway your decision in any way. It's basically just a marketing scheme. Yeah. All right. Uh, another one that you see a lot is naturally flavored uh, or, or artificially flavored. We discussed this in depth in the Healthy Snacks episode that we put out a year ago, but we'll briefly revisit. So natural versus artificial flavors. Natural means that... Uh, anything that you extract from a plant or animal source, the source, the beginning point was natural. Artificial means that it was originated in a lab, but really the end product is not too different. Um, most of the time, natural flavor, are, are, most of the time, natural flavors end up being similar to artificial flavors because they add a bunch of stuff to it. So um, they may add literally hundreds of artificial or synthetic ingredients to it. Um, a lot of the time they come from artificial components and there's very loose regulations around flavorings, um, meaning you don't have to disclose everything that's included in it. So you, you almost have no idea what it is unless like you, you actually talk to the company. Like, uh, we talked to element, we, we, you know, had a conversation about what is actually included in your natural flavors. Uh, and it's, it's a fruit extract. So, I mean, like it really depends. It doesn't mean that just cause it says natural flavors that it's absolute garbage, but it can be absolute garbage. You don't really know. Now it is worth noting that natural flavors are more regulated in certified organic foods. So if you see that certified organic label, the, the natural flavors in there cannot contain synthetic solvents, carriers, emulsifiers, uh, artificial preservatives, and you can't use flavors extracted from, uh, genetically engineered crops. So kind of depends. You really don't know what's included in the natural flavor, but yeah. I mean, if you want to go listen to more about that, you can go listen to our healthy snacks episode where we go into that in a little more detail. All right. Next, we're going to look at organic. So again, lots of different phrases of how this can be used on packaging. Sometimes it says made with organic ingredients. Sometimes it says USDA organic with the USDA, USDA organic logo. Other times it says 100% organic. So first of all, um, this is regulated by the USDA. And what the definition of organic is, is that the use of, of most synthetic pesticides, fertilizers, growth hormones, and GMOs are prohibited. So you can't use any of that crap in the upbringing of this product. Now, there are some exceptions here. Um, there are some synthetic ingredients that can still be used, and there are some natural ingredients that cannot be used. So like an example of a synthetic ingredient that can be used would be like you can like give an, an animal like a, an ibuprofen 
Like that's technically a synthetic ingredient going into the animal. Um, but like that would be allowed if, if an animal was administered like an Advil or ibuprofen, they, that can, that meat, the end product of that meat can still be labeled uh, organic. Or like a natural ingredient that's prohibited is like arsenic. Like that's a natural ingredient, but it's still not allowed. So there's some, uh, not I want I don't want to say vagueness around that. There's a little bit of um, confusion around that, but they do specify specifically what can and can't be used. Um, so what about the labeling though? There's like three different terms here. Um, the USDA says. This is a quote right from their website. They say, overall, if you make a product and want to claim that it is or its ingredients are organic, your final product probably needs to be certified. If you are not certified, you must not make any organic claims on the principal display panel or the USDA organic seal anywhere on your package. You may only on the information panel identify and certify organic ingredients as organic and the percentage of organic ingredients. All that to say is there's basically three, three tiers here of organic. The lowest tier is made with organic ingredients. To meet that standard, 70% of the contents that excludes water and salt must be organically produced. If it says made with organic ingredients, they cannot use the, the USDA organic label. The next tier, which is a little bit better, is USDA organic, which will have that label on it. And that means that 95% of the contents must be organically produced. And then the top tier, the best case scenario is if it uses the words 100% organic, that means exactly what it says. All of the contents are organically produced and they can still use that USDA organic label. So if you want clean organic products without that, that did not have pesticides, fertilizers, GMOs, all that, Best case scenario, look for 100% organic or USDA organic, 95% will be organic. If it says just made with organic ingredients, then 70% of it is organic. Yeah, and then there's a, another organization going off of the uh, USDA, USDA organic. Uh, th there's another third-party organization called Certified Naturally Grown, uh, which it's based on USD or USDA organic standards. Um, but it's not affiliated with the USDA. It's basically a peer reviewed system where farms inspect each other on whether or not they comply with standards. It's kind of created to help farms, you know, share knowledge, promote quality practices without the hassle and expense of USDA paperwork. Um, but they claim that their standards are based on the USDA national organic programs with very similar in terms of quality. Um, farmers don't use, you know, synthetic herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers, or GMOs. Um, the livestock are raised mostly in pastures with space for freedom and movement and feed must be grown without synthetic inputs or, or uh, genetically modified seeds. So this would be a similar certification to USDA organic. Again, that's called certified naturally grown. I haven't really seen this much, or maybe I just haven't noticed it, that, but that's another thing to, to keep an eye out for if, if you want organic. All right, another common label and another common um, concern are GMOs. So you'll see uh, a label called non-GMO project verified. Sometimes things just say no GMO, um, but GMOs, they are genetically modified organisms, um, living organ organisms whose genetic material had been art artificially manipulated in a lab through genetic, genetic engineering. Um, this 
creates a combination of plants, animals, bacteria, viruses um, that do not occur in nature or through traditional crossbreeding methods. And the reason that these are typically used, I guess the most common one is to provide a plant with herbicide tolerance. In other words, a GMO, GMO crops can be sprayed with things like Roundup and due to the genetic alteration of that plant, the Roundup will not harm the plant. It's protected against it because the, the, the makeup in the gene of the plant was altered to be tolerant to things like Roundup. Now, a, a massive portion of our foods are gen genetically modified. Like 90, this is straight from the, the FDA, 95%, I think this is US grown specifically, but 95% of canola, 94% of soybeans, 92% of corn, 95% of the food that animals eat, um, mm. all of that is, is GMO. Now, in terms of like regulation here, it gets extremely complicated. The, the FDA, USDA, and EPA all work together on various aspects of, of GMO regulation. The FDA is responsible specifically for regulating the food safety side of it, um, but details are pretty vague. Uh, there are also very little requirements around food labeling. As mentioned, like in the, in the stats, before, it's essentially assumed that, that most of what we eat does contain GMO. Now, there are, are third parties like the non-GMO project who certify food manufacturers that don't use any GMOs at all. So if you want to avoid GMOs completely, uh, like first of all, good luck. But second, mm -hmm. like look for that label, that non-GMO project label. Um, some labels might only say like no GMOs, but don't have the non-GMO project label. In this case, it's, it's likely that none were used, but it's really hard to guarantee it. Now, just, I guess, broadly, again, every single one of these sections we could do a whole episode on, but for GMO specifically, there's not strong evidence showing that they're harmful. Even like the G, if you go to the non-GMO project website, they specifically state that the safety of GMOs are unknown. Um, but it's, it's cause for a concern. People are, are, are worried about it. Yeah. I mean, maybe one day we'll do an episode on this, but it's not something I'd say to like absolutely freak out about, but, um, we can dive into that at another time. Yeah. All right. Another very common one is fair trade certified. So this one is less nutrition focused and more focused on environmental sustainability, safe working conditions, uh, transparent supply chain, poverty reduction. Uh, and it, it's, the certification is given by Fairtrade USA, which is a nonprofit organization and the, the major certifier of Fairtrade products in the US. Now, the amount of requirements that you have to abide by to get this certification is pretty extensive. There's like a 70 page manual on their site if you want to explore. But the basic theme is uh, transparency around product sourcing, uh, compliance with certain labor laws and environmental protections. You have to abide by fair trading practices, which is defined in this big booklet and then documentation around supply chain. And the whole point in theory is to support growers, farmers, producers in poverty stricken countries. So help improve working conditions in those countries, help provide more income to those workers and communities and do it in a way that is sustainable for them and the environment. That's the theory, but I came across some studies that have, have come out showing that uh, farmers in those countries that are part of the fair trade program actually receive less money than they would have 
if they weren't part of the fair trade program at all. Um, I didn't dig into this in super detail, um, but I saw a couple articles. There's a Forbes article that, that addressed this study, and I want to do a full episode on this. Um, it's possible that fair trade is just a giant marketing scam, but I will uh, reserve judgment until I do more research. I do want to do a full episode on this, so stay tuned for that. But anyway, that's that's the general theory behind fair trade certified. And then <clears throat> last one. This one is super easy. Kosher certified. Uh, it just means that the food complies with the dietary guidelines of traditional Jewish law. Um, so kosher means that proper or acceptable for consumption. So the kosher certified symbol assures consumers that the, both the actual product and its production adhere to all kosher law requirements. If you're Jewish, you already know all this. And if you're not Jewish, you probably don't care. But that's uh, that's what that means. So I think we pretty much hit on the big ones. Yeah, that was a lot. So if we missed anything specifically, um, shoot us an email, shoot us a DM, and we can, maybe if we missed quite a few, do a follow-up episode or post something on Instagram. But I think we covered most of these. We're going to post, uh, we'll have a massive list of resources where we got this information from. Most of it, we tried to go right to the source, like right to the FDA, right to the USDA when possible. Sometimes it was, we had to do some digging, but either way, we're going to post all of our resources to this in, um, on our website. I think that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you guys got something out of this. If you haven't already sign up for our rat pack newsletter, all the latest info on all things lab rats on all things lab rats. We actually have another monthly article coming out by Andy Kraft on Friday, the 26th of February. And do you want to, do you want to give a little sneak peek to what that's going to be about? Yeah, sure. It's, um, the premise, I guess, is on the concept of memento mori, really re reflecting on our mortality and the importance of kind of dwelling on, uh, on the idea that we're going to die someday. It sounds morbid, but I think it's going to be interesting. I'm, I've really enjoyed writing it and it's, uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy it too. Yeah, we do. Um, starting last month, we are doing longer form monthly articles that we write up. Something that's just like not, um, it, it's it's better written than it, than it is spoken. Um, it just provides us to take things from a different angle. So I wrote a January article on breaking phone addiction. Andy's writing February's on um, Memento Mori. So that stuff like that will be sent out in our newsletter. So sign up for our newsletter. If you would rate us on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate that. We love your honest feedback. Give us a one star. Give us a five star. We just want to hear the truth to make this podcast better. So thanks for sticking around and have a great week.